Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis on this edition. And this edition is with James Trogdon. He is the Secretary of Transportation for North Carolina. Okay, one of the things I really want to hit uh, is your public outreach. Because I don't know if people really understand how good it is. Uh, and uh, I guess you all put on some sort of uh, seminars uh, for improvements you were going to make on Capitol Boulevard, which I use every day. So I showed up. I was very impressed. One, you got a lot of people there to answer questions, which is great. No waiting in line uh, for you know your local expert. A lot of presentations. Now, is that just showbiz, or do you actually take uh, you know some of the input from regular people and say, hey, if you do that, that's going to cause this, and why don't you look at another way of doing this? No, we, we do. We take it from – we love input. Um, a, as you guys know, um, you know, transportation touches everyone, and every citizen out there has a different expectation on a, on a new facility, uh, whether they're – one who just drives through it or one who lives next to it, there's different expectations on what that facility is going to do. So uh, part of our normal public engagement process, as you mentioned, is having local public meetings mm-hmm. for input. That that has worked well historically, and we've, as you said, kind of got that down to a science on how do you do that. The real question is, uh, and that a great example I'd use is I'm sampling about 1% of the population when yeah. I do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're looking at how do we expand new techniques, so primarily social media. So today we can geofence a project, mm-hmm. which is a virtual fence around a project. As you drive through it, uh, sometime that evening when you pull up your browser, you'll get a pop-up message saying you drove through – We'd love to show you what we're considering on this project. Really? Here's what the needs are. Here's some of the alternatives. You can comment any way uh, that you want to and not have to attend the public meeting. Really? And we're, we hope that will increase our sample size for even more input from the 1% to hopefully you know, 50, 60, or 70% of the people that use facilities. I think the first location we did that was – I five or I440 widening at Meredith College. Yeah. Uh, between Meredith and the University mm-hmm. uh, Club, um, where we were having tremendous concerns about some of the. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Meredith, the Meredith folks had their hair on fire, some of the things you I, wanted to do. I think uh, losing 20% of their parking was a, <laughs> yeah. a substantial shock, and so they voiced those concerns. Yeah. Um, and we listened, compressed that design, you know, got, got Meredith's uh, concurrence on our, our, our proposal that will be built now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things we did was we said, how can we use social media to help with this, too? Because there's a lot of people who drive 440 who may not even know about a local public meeting, who may not have time to attend a public meeting. There's probably 100,000 people who drive that facility every day. Wow. So when we use social media and geofencing, I, I think we got – about a million hits, roughly, and wow. uh, you know, over a long weekend or, mm-hmm. and almost a week, um, and then not as many people comment and all the way click all the way through and actually leave comments, but at least you're giving more people an opportunity to say, "Here's what I think is important." And yes, all of those are great ideas because, as you know, and I'm an engineer of 27 years. You know, sometimes we look at a project purely from an engineering perspective. No kidding. <laughs> and the actual people that use it 
or live there may have a relevant concern or a relevant perspective that we really didn't consider. And so any of those ideas are wonderful, and we love to take them because our idea, our goal ultimately is to build projects that people need, want, and will use. Mm-hmm. So if you don't need it, comment. If you don't want it, comment. And if you're not going to use it, comment. All of those things help, help us. Help help, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I'm glad you brought up the Meredith situation here locally, which I know on that side of town, they, you know, they were going nuts at the initial uh, proposals of improvements in those areas. And, and DOT, uh, uh, they made adjustments. So then, right. And pretty much everybody came out uh, happy at the, end of the, at the end of the process. So anyways, uh, that is evidence that uh, DOT uh, is listening. Uh, not too long ago... Man, maybe it was long ago. You know, we had. I was reading about all of these uh, smart roads that would tell you, you know, uh, how fast you were going, or give you a whole lot of input, give DOT a lot of input. Is any of that coming to fruition, or are we just still in the good old, uh, you know, uh, asphalt paving business? No, it it absolutely is. So I, I referred to moving to electric vehicles. The other piece is mm-hmm. uh, connected and, and autonomous or automated. And what you're really referring to is connected uh, vehicles Mm -hmm. with connected infrastructure. So, uh, yes, it is moving that way. Uh, In North Carolina, we were partnering with Volvo to test uh, truck platooning, uh, which will share information. The trucks first share information so you can platoon the trucks. Then they'll be able to broadcast information to the to the infrastructure and the infrastructure could exchange. We've installed about 25 um, more sophisticated traffic signals that will communicate with vehicles once they have this technology. Wow. Um, most of those are in the carry area, uh, but that'll be where your vehicle can approach. It'll get a signal. The signal will turn green in 10 seconds, so therefore the vehicle can mm-hmm. regulate its speed so you can <laughs> approach. Uh, all of that is we're moving in all those directions, oh, as darn. well as the moving with vehicle manufacturers into vehicles that are purely automated that really won't need to depend on the sharing of information they'll be able to make all those decisions on board wow is is that is that like five ten years down the road or it will come much faster than people believe uh i think general motors and most of the major manufacturers are saying that they're going to have uh really sophisticated connected technology in all of their vehicles by 2021 wow uh we believe that by 2025 most vehicles that will be manufactured will be either um with all the connected technology and maybe even a level three or a level four autonomous technology and certainly by 2025 most of those being manufactured will be electric so all of these things will tie together uh, let's talk about something that has a, a much uh, earlier deadline that you're you're having to deal with and that is uh, real id first can you explain what real id is and uh, you know why should someone like me care about that uh well real id is a federal requirement that says by uh october of 2020 uh your your id can only be it will only be recognized at the federal level so if you're traveling through an airport going through tsa security mm-hmm. if you're trying to enter uh, a military installation or a federal facility that requires sec- you know security and 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 identification then you've got to meet these requirements. And so we offer, we've been offering Real ID now for uh, over a year. 
Um, and when and you say we, you're talking about Department of Motor Vehicles. DMV, mm-hmm. yes. And uh, if you go online, you'll see the documents that you need to take to get your real ID. Uh, and the real ID is the one with the little gold star in the right mm-hmm. upper corner. Uh, without real ID, you'd still be able to drive, still be able to do all the things that you do. But if you went to the airport to travel, you'd need another form of identification, like, for example, um a passport or something? A passport mm-hmm. would be perfect. So if you had a passport and uh, a regular North Carolina driver's license without the gold star, those two documents would still be adequate to fly or enter into a military installation. So um, we, we've issued about 1.1 million real IDs to date. Um, we think by the end of next year we'll be up to uh, 2 million, uh, and we believe that's a reasonable estimate on the number of people that's going to be required to have these in order or need these in order to fly and uh, mm-hmm. conduct with, business. Yes. Uh, wow. So you got a million people that uh, have to come to your facilities across the state and and, and get this. Are you uh, are you geared up for that? Uh, last year we struggled, mm-hmm. uh, as everyone knows. The lines were really long uh, last year. Uh, some waits. Uh, the, I think the average wait time was in the hundred and twenty minute. Oh, it's like going to Disney World. Just just to start your transaction. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that was really unacceptable. So uh, the entire team at DMV, uh, with um, a consultant, we work with a consultant to review all of our processes and find ways to streamline. Uh, we're implementing that this summer. Uh, we've got 29 pilot offices that are doing new techniques across the state with the idea that we want to um, reduce the initial demand by 20% by offering better and more frequent appointments. So we lower those peaks and then improve our processing uh, and uh, our service times by 40%. Wow. And then we added another 20% in additional capacity from new offices to new examiners in strategic locations. We're seeing great results to date, but this is still June and not August. Yeah. Um, And seeing substantial improvements in those 29 offices and then we're taking the lessons learned there uh, doing things like giving all of our offices scorecards every single day on how fast did they process yesterday where were the challenges what was working well what needs improvement and those office managers can now brief their employees every day every day with real-time data Um, so that's that's making a big improvement and that's the direction that we're moving we're speaking with uh, James Trogan. He is the Secretary of Transportation. And uh, when we come back, we'll learn a little bit more about James Trogdon. You're listening to Carolina Newsmakers here on the North Carolina News Network. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you 
can prevent wildfires. You've got your shades on, do you? So cool, so hip, so sheltered by frames of UV protection to show the world you are a force. But did you also know by wearing sunglasses you're doing your eyes a favor? That's right, sunglasses help avoid overexposure to the sun, which can produce red eyes, a feeling of grittiness, even excessive tearing. But you, oh master of the incognito, are taking care of your eyes without even knowing it. For more easy ways to keep keeping your eyes healthy, see your optometrist or visit AOA.org. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis on this edition with uh, James Trogdon, who is the Secretary of Transportation. And as you can tell, the man has a busy day uh, every time when he goes uh, uh, to work. Uh, how did you get into this this whole transportation business? I mean, did you, when you were seven years old, say, I want to be Secretary of Transportation for the state of North Carolina? How did this all come about? Absolutely not. No, I uh, uh, decided early on I was going to NC State. I was interested in engineering, mm-hmm. um, well, um, at my senior year in high school, so that, that early. And um, uh, when I got to NC State, uh, I had no clue uh, – you know took some uh of the test during orientation they said well you've been accepted but uh you don't have a college that you're assigned to so you know Mm -hmm. which one are you interested in and i said well what pays the most (laughs) Uh, and they said chemical engineering and i said well sign me up for that and that lasted (laughs) until i completed my first chemistry class and uh, i said the uh, there's got to be a um, something more interesting to me, and yeah. so at that time I was in engineering, uh, a kind of a one-on-one introductory to all engineering. And that week, uh, the guy who was briefing civil was just fascinating. He too was a prior service in the army. Uh, he had originally flunked out at NC State. Now he's a professor. Went in the army, <laughs> spent some time, came back, and I was in the National Guard at the time. Uh, and so, uh, you know, he got my interest in civil engineering and then, you know, got into civil and really enjoyed it. Then uh, started working part-time when I was in graduate school at, uh, at NCDOT um, and uh, then went into consulting, uh, went into roads and consulting and, and found out, hey, most of the roads in North Carolina are, are operating and managed by NCDOT, so that's probably where I need to go, and that's where I ended up. What uh, piqued your interest in engineering? I mean, is that where all the dates, you know, uh, you didn't have to wait for a date uh, if you were an engineering uh, uh, student? No, absolutely, because at that time, it was all almost all primarily male, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, <laughs> it didn't work out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that didn't work out. Um, <laughs> no, it was, it was really a l- love the interest in building things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the fascinating things in looking at North Carolina DOT and the history was uh, I think one of the first leaders at North Carolina DOT was a guy named Frank Page. He was the very first uh, commissioner in charge, which is equivalent of the secretary today, uh, was a World War I veteran um, engineer from Engineer Regiment in the Army uh, and started uh, you know, what was then called the Good Roads Movement, which yeah. we became the Good Road State, mm-hmm. the fifth state in the nation to institute a motor fuels tax. Uh, the second state to use uh, state bonds to advance uh, transportation. And at that time, North Carolina sold more bonds than all uh, 49 states with the exception of New York for transportation. So he was responsible for leading the organization that built 8,000 miles of new roads in 10 years and connected all the county seats in North Carolina. 
So learning things like that and the history of transportation in our state, just uh, uh, a good example is I think we're now at this at a similar transition point in history as to they were when they were transitioning from horse and buggy to automobile and needed that kind of growth. We're at a similar point in how we're going to see transformation uh, in transportation, and it's just a perfect time to be here. Do do many young people know some of the in, incredible uh, innovation that's going on in transportation? I mean, everybody knows about uh, uh, you know Silicon Valley, and that's you know all the sexy engineering build things. Do do people really understand that, uh, what kind of uh, career opportunities exist in transportation? Um, that's a hard question for me to answer, but I can tell you I suspect that uh, because it's it's more hidden in transportation. Some of the technology advances are occurring today are behind the scenes from the public, whether yeah. they're at, with motor vehicle manufacturers or back office systems or uh, our ability. A great example is our ability today to use real-time data to determine what's the average travel speed every one to two miles on the interstate and we can figure that out every five to ten minutes wow. using real-time data and that's the data that's being transmitted by your cell phone no kidding wow no kidding so these are things that most people don't know mm -hmm. uh, but I believe that just like they're seeing the the advance in communications because they're commercially available products that that same technology is helping us in transportation advance mm -hmm. It's just one that you don't see because it's not a consumer product. Well, since uh, Don Curtis isn't here and I can get away with this, uh, let me see if I can, you know, give a commercial as to why people should, uh, you know, coming out of NC State or maybe going into NC State should look at working at the North Carolina Department of Transportation. Well, we're definitely growing. Uh, we've uh, increased our uh, building program from $1.5 per year to $3 billion per year over the last two years. Uh, we're going to continue that for the next two with some of the innovative tools the General Assembly has allowed us to have, like Build NC, uh, which is a transportation bonds. Um, the, the future for the next five years, to quote the uh, CEO of Mary Barra of General Motors, mm -hmm. next five years we'll see more change in transportation than we've seen in the last 50. So if you want to be on the cutting edge of how to implement all this advanced technology from um, machine learning to uh, artificial intelligence to cloud technology streaming live data working with private sector partners to add value uh, so that in the future I would anticipate citizens will be able to take a trip from their doorstep to wherever they want to go using their phone or some other technology and never have to own a vehicle and do it cheaper than they can do it today by owning a vehicle. Wow this is the time to get in the front end. And so that also impacts how we build, what we build, and where we build future transportation um, solutions. You know, earlier uh, this week, I was uh, out at uh, Wake Tech, and uh, they have a pretty good uh, partnership with uh, local law enforcement as far as uh, training of, of uh, first responders and such. Uh, does DOT have uh, any type of partnerships with the universities and uh, community colleges in uh, North Carolina? We do. Uh, we're now running all of our transportation academies. So these are. Uh, What's that? It's basically um, 
If we're looking to increase the number of commercial drivers licensed truck mm-hmm. drivers that we have, for example, we'll run transportation academies so that you can go through there if you're interested, get the skills you need to go then to DMV and get a commercial no, driver's license and I be qualified did. to work with us and we'll help place you in one of our vacancies. Wow. Uh, you know, that's one example. Equipment operators, uh, engineer technicians, all of those we're, we're doing in our academy system in partnership with the North Carolina Community Colleges. I think there's 14 mm-hmm. locations across the state. Um, even more important, though, is we're working closer with our community colleges that produce both engineers and our operations and trades, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a supervisor, manager, uh, t- signal technician, any of those, we're working much closer to community college to better be recruiting to mm-hmm. recruit there, mm-hmm. because one of the, th- the the things that have been obvious to me is our system of recruiting in the past was post a job on an obscure government website, <laughs> uh, what my HR director calls the post and pray method. Uh, that does not work any longer. Really, uh, with with people, uh, both millennials and other younger people, you really have to seek them out, Mm. find them, uh, and advertise in ways that they're going to see it. No one's going to go look at your site. So uh, that that is where we're going. How do we, and once again, trying to use social media, geofence, universities, community colleges, places that we can push messages and opportunities, provide them through the academies, through our entry-level engineering program, uh, opportunities to see DOT, and then decide, is this a place that I want to work long-term? Interesting. And um, also work with our partners, because it's not just important that we have the capability, but also our private engineering firms that help us with about 85% of our design work, uh, the contractors that build all of our facilities across the state, we're working with them so that we all can be more competitive in what everyone refers to as the STEM, science, technology, mm-hmm. engineering, and math, uh, because we're losing too much talent to other industries. So how can we work together? You know, I think that's an interesting point that you bring up. I don't know if everyone understands that uh, probably to get stuff done in the Department of Transportation, it's not like you got employees to do all the work. There's a tremendous amount of uh, contracting with private enterprise. Tell us a little bit about that. No, um, we we contract about seventy percent of uh, all the work that we do. Um, a great example or a great number that uh, that can tell you exactly the volume is about fourteen percent of every dollar I spend is just on our labor. The rest is on really? all the other stuff that we yeah. produce. It's the materials we buy. It's the work that we get through contract. It's the external engineering capabilities that we assign to projects to come up with the designs alternatives uh, so a vast majority of every dollar that we spend is not spent on our employees it's spent on delivering these services interesting um, and the other thing too is that you know uh, I used to work in state government and uh, a budget director his name was Lee Roberts I'll never forget what he said when he went on to start this big deal uh, fund that he uh, went. He said, I wish people knew just how dedicated the average state employee uh, is. Now, he was talking in the budget department, how dedicated is the uh, transportation worker that, uh, that we um, uh, have working on our behalf? 
Well, a great example, there's two. A great example is uh, following Hurricane Florence, we had 3,400 locations where roads were damaged, about 2,400 roads closed in total, 1,600 at the peak of the storm. Wow. Um, within three months, we had a vast majority of those open, and by February of this, uh, this year, we had all of them open. Uh, and I'm, I don't remember a time where we've ever been able to respond that quickly. But mm -hmm. And it's not just our employees. We're using also contract help and others to do that because it takes a team. Yeah. But um, a, a wonderful example is every time you see a snow, uh, <laughs> our employees are out there working 14, 18 hours on a shift uh, to make sure those roads are open as quickly as possible to get the snow out because everyone knows in North Carolina, when you shut down mobility, you shut down the economy. So if you shut down mobility because of a snow for five days, uh, that's less economic opportunity. That's economy that you're losing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that's our job is to make sure our economy moves and they move on roads and they move on transit and they move in the air and we support all of those. Our guest has been uh, Secretary of Transportation for the State of North Carolina, James Trogdon. Mr. Trogdon, this has been fun. Thank you so much for taking uh, time and speaking to the people of North Carolina. Thank you, Rick. And uh, next week, uh, Don Curtis will be back on uh, a new edition of Carolina Newsmakers. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.